over week. And what we've been seeing is David is following his shepherd. He starts as a shepherd boy, and he becomes the David of David and Goliath that we all know. Um, and then he ends up being the king of Israel, and lots of things happen in between, and many of you know the story. But what we're seeing is that David, his journey following the Lord, really teaches us a lot of lessons about our journey following the Lord. How many of you believe that we ought to grow a little bit closer to the Lord tomorrow than where we are today? And today we ought to be a little bit further along than we were yesterday as we follow Him. And there's going to be ups and downs along the way. There's no doubt about that. But that's what we're seeing in the life of David. So here we pick it up, and I want to speak to you this morning about the kindness of the king. The kindness of the king. So in the introduction uh, on the inside page of your notes this morning, David's kingdom has reached the height of its power. He has subdued all of the opposing nations around him, and he has the loyal affections of his people. He rules with justice and righteousness. Now, from this position of power and privilege, we're going to see David show kindness to someone that the world had completely overlooked, someone that the world had completely forgotten about. Let's have a word of prayer, ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us this morning to give it full attention. I pray that you'd speak to each heart as only you can. Lord, we need your presence this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. In 2 Samuel 8, I don't want to show you a whole lot of scripture in, in this passage. We could read all of chapter 8, but really chapter 8 is the setup for what we're going to see in chapter 9. I said in the introduction that David's kingdom is at the height of its power. If you were to read through this whole chapter, you'd see verses like 2 Samuel 8 and verse number 6. Look at, look at this verse with me. It says, Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus. And the Syrians became servants to David and brought gifts. And notice this statement, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. If you read the whole chapter, can you take a little bit off my mic? I'm getting a ring up here, please. Just help me out a little bit with that. Just take a little off. I appreciate it. Um, if you were to read the whole, the, the whole chapter, you'd see verse after verse of the same thing happening. He's going into this kingdom. He's going into this area, and there's this group of people over here, and there's that group. You're gonna, there we go. Thank you. We're just, we got some new equipment up here, so we're just working it out. I'm going to not let it distract me the rest of the time. So I'll, uh, It's probably distracting me more than it's distracting you, but I'm going to get back on track here. If you, read the whole, if you read the whole chapter of 2 Samuel chapter 8, you'd find he goes into this kingdom. He conquers these people. He moves over here. He conquers the next group of people. And in it is this statement in verse number 6 that it was the Lord who preserved David. Was David growing in his power and authority because he was the master politician, because he was the master warrior? Did that have anything to do with it? It had nothing to do with it. All of David's victory, all of his position was because of who? Because of God. It was because of the Lord. So David's got the unique hand of, of God's blessing on his life. Aren't you thankful for the blessings that you've received in your life? As you walk with the Lord, you can, there's times where we sense His presence, we know His power is with us. And then if you look down, and you'll see that He's dominated all these surrounding kingdoms, but in the midst of it, He has not forgotten that it's God who's blessed Him. And look at how He rules the people. Skip down to verse number 14. Chapter 8 and verse 14 says this, 
And he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom put he garrisons. And all they of Edom became David's servants. And the statement comes again. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. It's God's hand on him. Now look at how he rules. Verse number 15. Look what it says next. And David reigned over all Israel. And David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. You see, David doesn't take this opportunity to say, well, now I have the power, now I have the authority, now I'm going to really prove who I am. His, and we've seen this before, his power, his position, he realizes he has received grace, so he is going to treat his kingdom, he's going to treat the people that he leads with the same kind of grace and justice that he has received. I'm reminded of a scripture that comes from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. It really speaks about this idea of to whom much is given, much has been required. Look at Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to, let's read this together, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, in the midst of that, David realizes what God has done for him, and he desires to be to be just a channel of God's blessing to others. We come to chapter 9. And when you look at chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 1, it says this. At the seat of his power, I imagine David sitting on his throne, people around him. He's in this position, and he looks around, and he says, Is there yet any that is left? of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. David stops and he asks a really important question. If you've been following the story, you're having flashbacks right now to 15, 20 years earlier when David had a best friend whose name was Jonathan. Jonathan was David's very best friend. Problem was, Jonathan's dad and David didn't get along so well because Jonathan's dad was who? It's King Saul. King Saul is threatened by David, so he chases him and tries to kill him. Jonathan is difficult because he's caught in the middle because Jonathan wants to be loyal to his dad, but he loves his friend David and he knows that God has chosen David, so they have this friendship. And you know what happened. Jonathan ultimately was killed. And David thinks back about his dear friend all these dozen or so years before who died. And he says, hey, hey guys, hey folks, is there anybody left from Saul's family that I could show kindness to? Is there anyone at all? You see, David had a promise to keep. And remember that story I just told you. If you flash back 2 Samuel 8, Verses, or this should be 1 Samuel actually, it's a, it's a typo, so you're probably not going to have the right scripture, but it is on the handout. It says in, in 1 Samuel 8, 14 through 15, uh, this is the promise between Jonathan and David. And on the handout it says, And thou shalt not only while I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. This is Jonathan speaking to David. He says, David, while I'm alive, I thank you. You know, God's going to promote you and the house of my dad, Saul. It's going to be brought low. But David, I'm protecting you now, and I want you to promise me, promise me, David, that you'll show me kindness. 
but not only while I'm alive. In verse 15, he says, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, everyone from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And I see David just sitting back in his kingdom, in his power, and he goes back and he remembers. He remembers his friend. He remembers this conversation that they have where Jonathan said, David, please show kindness to my children. What was common practice in those days? If one kingdom fell and another took its place, it was a brutal day. The, the, the new power structure would come in and would obliterate all the family. But Jonathan and David loved each other. And Jonathan made David commit to him. And David remembers his promise that he's made. And here we are all these years later. And back to our text in 2 Samuel, verse number 2. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called unto him David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, What's the next word? He says, Jonathan. Now at that point, David's ears perk up. David says, Is there anyone left of the house of Saul? Is there anybody left? And he says, Well, Jonathan had a son. Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Maker, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Maker, the son of Amiel from Lodabar, now when, here's our character of the story today, ready to be introduced. Verse number six, now when, who wants to try it? Now when who? Mephibosheth. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself. This is Mephibosheth now. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant? that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am. We've got another flashback here. Who is this character Mephibosheth? Well, we don't need to turn there, but if you were to go back, this is, if you remember, we were as we were studying, I said we would come to certain passages and I'd say, well, mark that one down. Remember this one. And this happened, this happened, as I said, maybe 15 years or so earlier. This is right when King Saul goes to his last battle. 
He goes to his very last battle, and all of Saul's sons go to this battle with him, except for the one son who survived. But they go to battle, and they are terribly defeated. Saul is killed. His sons are killed. And Mephibosheth is just a five-year-old boy. He's just five years old, and his father is killed in battle. Well, the news comes back to the house of Jonathan. A messenger comes back from the battlefield. And the news, I think he's probably shouting on his way because this is a dangerous, dangerous time. They say, run, run, run. Get the child and get out. Get Mephibosheth and get him out. The house of Saul is defeated. Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. And so all the servants are just in a panic. And they run around and they reach up and they grab this little five-year-old boy and somebody picks him up and they start running as fast as they can to escape the invading armies that are coming. But tragically, as they run, as they make their escape, whoever's holding that child slips and drops that child, Mephibosheth. And they quickly pick him back up without any time to see what's happened. They pick him up and they run to where they're going. And sadly, he is injured. And that injury would lead to a permanent disability where he would not be able to walk for the rest of his life. And so little Mephibosheth is taken, and as I understand it, he's placed in hiding. You say, well, why do you think he's placed in hiding? Because not even David knows that he is, he, he is around, that he's alive. Not even David knows about this child. Can you imagine his upbringing? We don't have it recorded in the Scriptures. But can you imagine what his childhood would have been like? Never allowed to talk about who your parents are for fear that the new king would come and destroy the child. Had to be kept in in solitude. In this day and age, those with disabilities were not treated with great honor and respect. And so they have this child hidden away for all these years. Alone, an outcast, Mephibosheth. Till David says, is there anyone left that I could show what to? Yeah. Kindness. David says, I want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake. So they pack up and they say, I want you to get me Mephibosheth. Go down to Lodabar. Head down to Lodabar. And get Mephibosheth. Bring him to me. Now, here's the journey to Lodabar. I don't know who went down, but it would have been clear that they are the servants of the king. Now, all these years later, Mephibosheth has been discovered. The secret has been uncovered. And David sends his servants. Mephibosheth does not know what to expect. In fact, you tell me, Mephibosheth would have every expectation that what could happen? He'd be killed. Mephibosheth, there's, I hear the sound of chariots. People are coming. People are coming. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, it's the servants of King David. King David has sent an entourage for you. How does he even know about me? I don't know. Somebody must have given us up. How does he even know? They're coming, they're coming, they're coming. They get there and they say, Mephibosheth, Come with us. And so, everything, Mephibosheth up until this point, he doesn't know what's going on. 
says in verse number 6, Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. I have a feeling. I don't know for sure. We don't have the... We, we, this isn't a movie, so we can't hear the way that David said his voice. But I just have a feeling that he said that name with joy, with happiness. I don't know if Mephibosheth looked a little bit like Jonathan. I don't know if he bared that resemblance or not. But King David looks at this little boy who's carried in and placed in some kind of a seat in front of him. He was a little boy, now he's a young man. And he looks at him and he says, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. A little apprehensive, a little uncertain. Mephibosheth says, Behold, thy servant, I- I'm your servant. I'll-, I'll be your servant, David. He fell. He, he, I don't know if he came out of his seat or what happened, but he just lays himself on the ground in complete humility and says, David, I will be your servant. I will be your servant. And to all the surprise, what, what, what could never be imagined, David says to him in verse number 7, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. You don't have to fear. Because I am going to show thee, what's the word? Kindness. Why? Why is David showing him kindness? What do we know about Mephibosheth? Is he a wonderful person? I see some shrugs out there. We have no idea. What does David know about Mephibosheth? Does he know Mephibosheth's character? He knows nothing about him. Why is he showing Mephibosheth kindness? It says it right in the Scripture. Why? For Jonathan's sake. Because David and Jonathan had a special relationship. And because of your father, I will show you kindness. He says that I will restore all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now we do get a glimpse at the character of Mephibosheth because in verse number 8 he bows himself and says, basically says, who am I? I don't deserve this. And he describes himself as nothing but not a dog. You notice that? He doesn't say, I'm just a, a, a little dog. He says, I am a, I'm a dead dog. And not an expression that we would use very often here. But in the culture of the day, he's thinking, now you love Fido or whatever his name is at home, but they apparently didn't honor dogs quite as much as we do nowadays. And he says, I want to show the king my humility. And he says, he's thinking of the, the lowest way he could describe himself. I'm just a, no, I'm just a dead dog. But David says, I'm going to bring you to a place of honor. Now, I want to bring out a really important point. But before we do, I do think that there's a moral lesson here for us as well. I think there's a little reminder of the spirit of Christ toward people who are in vulnerable positions. Don't you think that lesson's here? I don't think this that's the main thrust of this passage. But we had a wonderful guest with us on Wednesday night, the Tice family, talking about their ministry to the fatherless. It was awesome. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and watch the recording of that. 
But he talked about really his ministry is, toward, is, is about caring for those that the world has kind of passed over. But you know, Christians ought to be taking the forefront and caring for those that the world has forgotten about. Do you believe that? And I know that there is a, there's a, some of you may be aware that there's a debate in Christianity about social justice and all of those things. But listen, it all boils down to this. The most important act of kindness you can do for anyone is to share them the, with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe that? It does no good to meet someone's physical needs and not give them the good news that can save their soul forever. However, that being said, what hypocrisy for us to preach a message of love and never to show that love to anyone. John would say, or James, they both, John and James in both the epistles spoke about this idea, but the, the, the direct quote was from one of those passages where it says, if you have your brother or sister, they're destitute, they're naked, they're poor, and you say, oh, I, I hope things turn out better for you, but you do nothing for them, how does the love of God dwell in your heart? That's a challenge for us, isn't it? And so I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. Then said he also to him that bade him. Jesus is at a dinner. He's at a fancy party. He's in a nice room, kind of like this nice room that we've been remodeling and all of that. It's a nice, comfortable place. He says, listen, when, you're, when you make a dinner or a supper, don't make it about calling your friends or your brethren, your near kinsmen, thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense be made thee. What's he saying there? He's saying, don't, don't, don't just have a party for all the people that will throw you a party. Don't just do good things for people who do the same to you. But now look at verse 13. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Jesus' heart is illustrated in David toward Mephibosheth. David sees Mephibosheth. You and I, there are people suffering all around us, people that we know. We have the opportunity to show compassion, to show kindness, to do good. That's the heart of Christ. We should speak the gospel, and then we should display the gospel in our lives and with our actions. Spirit of Christ. Well, back to our story. I said that was just a little lesson. That was kind of like the mini-sermon inside the sermon. Now I'm going to bring it back to, to where we're headed. Kindness has been shown to Mephibosheth. But you notice what happens here. Mephibosheth, in one moment, as soon as the king decided to show kindness to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth goes from outcast to honored son. Boy, you talk about your life changing in a moment. You talk about your life changing in an instant. That is exactly what happened with Mephibosheth. Now, he hears the voice of the king. He hears that the king has summoned him. The last thing on Mephibosheth's mind is that anything good is going to come. He's not like, oh boy, 
It's about time David recognized me. No, he's like, oh no, I better show him how humble I am. I better show him how undeserved I am. But he shows up and we saw what David said. Notice everything that David is doing for him for Jonathan's sake. Did you see it in verse number 7? His inheritance is restored. That's amazing. He's been living in hiding He's been, no one's known about, he's not even allowed to talk about who his father was for fear of his life. But he says, listen, all the land that used to belong to Jonathan, all the land that belonged to the house of Saul, Mephibosheth, it is yours. You've been given the inheritance. You've got it back. And then he says, and um, not only that, but thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Now skip down to verse number 9. It gets better. So here's Mephibosheth. Here's David. And remember the guy that introduced them? His name was Ziba. Remember Ziba from the beginning of the story? David says, hey, Ziba, come on over here, man. Come here, Ziba. He says, Ziba, you've got a new job. Whoa, new job, new responsibility from the king. Your job is going to be make sure to make sure that Mephibosheth is taken care of. Verse number 9, the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him. And thou shalt bring in the fruits that thy master's son may have food to eat. The king says, Mephibosheth, for the rest of your days, not only have you received the inheritance again, but for the rest of your days, David says, I'm going to make sure that you are provided for. I'm going to make sure that you are taken care of. Ziba, you and your sons, it's going to be your job to make sure there's food on the table, to make sure that the land is taken care of. Now it says, now it says that in verse number 10, that they are going to, they are going to bring in the fruits that my master's son may have food to eat, but Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always where? At my table, David says. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that the Lord, my lord the king hath commanded his servants, so shall thy servant do. As for, as for Mephibosheth, said the king, I just want to make sure you understand the new status that Mephibosheth has. I just want to make sure you realize, I'm going to say this twice, Ziba, as for Mephibosheth, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. As one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Can you imagine that first dinner? Imagine that first dinner. All the sons of David gathered at the royal table. They're sitting here. They're all lined up. We'll meet some of these fellas in coming weeks. But all of David's sons gathered there at the table. And in come the servants carrying Mephibosheth. I imagine a servant on one hand Another servant on the other arm, they carry him in, and Mephibosheth sits down for the first time at the king's table. 
and he thinks, boy, has my life changed. Why? Was it because Mephibosheth had read a lot of self-improvement books? You know, how to win friends and influence the king. Is it because he, he had mastered his education? Is it because he had achieved some great status? No, it was simply because the king thought it good to show him what? To show him kindness. And be, once truly, once the enemy of the king now seated at his table. What a picture of grace. We know as we've studied the series that David the king is the picture of the true and perfect king Jesus who would come, of our king Jesus. What a picture. Friends, I want to finish this morning with a message for Mephibosheths. I want to finish with a message for Mephibosheths, and that is this. There is still a place at the family table. There is still a place set at the table of the king. And I'm not talking, obviously, about King David. I'm talking about our King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has still prepared a table. In fact, he said in the book of John, I go to prepare a what? A place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm go Jesus said, I am preparing a place. And today, there is still room at the table for some Mephibosheths. And let's not, let's not deceive our, ourselves. You and I, spiritually speaking, we have a lot more, if we were to take this as a spiritual illustration, we have a lot more in common with Mephibosheth than we do with King David. We have a lot more similarities in our lives with Mephibosheth. You see, Mephibosheth was an outcast. He was disabled. The world had forgotten him. You know who is the least likely person to sit at the table of the king? Jesus said, Jesus actually said this, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to what? To enter the kingdom of God. And then they, the disciples were like, whoa, who could be saved? Well, Jesus said, well, it's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. But Jesus has always had a ministry to the broken. The gospel has always been a message, not to those who see themselves as mighty, but to those who see themselves as lowly. To those who would echo with Mephibosheth, and they would say, Lord, why would you show me this kindness? I am nothing but a dog. No, I am nothing but a... You got it. That's all I am. You see, the gospel is not for the entitled the gospel is for those who know they are weak and undeserving. Because the king was willing to show us his kindness. The outcast orphan like Mephibosheth can still become a son or daughter. But this is another beautiful picture. Mephibosheth received kindness not because of Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth received kindness because of who? Jonathan. He said, I will show you kindness for Jonathan's sake. You say, is that a New Testament principle? You've got to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. Ephesians 4.32 describes the character of the church. The church should be a place where we are kind one to another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another. But why? Because it's a picture of God's forgiveness and God's kindness to us. Notice the statement at the end of this verse. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath what? 
forgiven you. We have received the kindness of God because of who we are, because of who Jesus is. Mephibosheth didn't come to David on his own merits. Mephibosheth came to David on the merits of Jonathan. You and I, we don't come to Jesus and give him our own record. Look what I've done. Look how good I am. We come under the blood of Jesus. We come because of who Jesus is. And because of that, listen, we talk about a seat at the table. We are lavished by the Father with eternal blessings for Jesus' sake. I I would give you another passage from Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians 2 and verse number 7. Ephesians 2, 7 says this, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his what? There it is again, in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. I love, I've always loved this verse. Do you know what stands out to me about this verse? The ages to come. The ages to come. I think about Mephibosheth, first day, well, I guess I'm not going to die. That's a good deal from David. Oh, I'm getting my inheritance back. This just gets better. Wow, these guys are going to take care of me. Wait a minute. Did I hear that right? I'm going to sit at your table, David? You and I in Christ. Do you realize this morning that you do not even know yet all of the grace that God has still planned to show you? Are you thankful for your salvation in Christ? Can you say, can you look back, and I know, I know the stories of some of the folks in the room, and you can look back and see where your life was and where God has brought you, and you can say, my life bears no resemblance to what I was before I know Christ, the new Christ. And he has completely changed my life. And that is what the power of Jesus can do. It can take a life that is broken, that is outcast, that is lost in sin, and the grace of Jesus can change that life forever. But the half has not yet been told. The Apostle Paul writes that in the ages to come, in eternity forward, God is still waiting to show you more and more of his kindness towards you. We just ought to stop this morning. There's sometimes we need to be reminded to kind of step it up as Christians and, and, and you know, really get a little more serious about our faith. But there's sometimes that God just wants us to stop and realize how deeply we are loved, how undeserving we are, and how amazing His grace is. Who am I? that the highest king would die for me. And in the ages to come, he is still going to show us more of his love for us. In the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, many of you know this verse, For by grace are ye saved through faith, It doesn't say, for by grace are you saved through religion. It's not for by grace. This this wonderful kindness of God doesn't come by religion. This wonderful grace of God doesn't come by 
keeping the law. It doesn't come through sacraments. It doesn't come through a church. It comes by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And it doesn't come from who? Doesn't come from ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There would never be a day in Mephibosheth's life where he could, where he could look around and say, yeah, you see all this land I've got? I built that. See all this food on my table? I arranged for that to happen. There'd never be a time in his life where Mephibosheth could say, I did all this. When anybody would come and say, Mephibosheth, look at your life. Look at your position. Look at who you are. You are Mephibosheth. It's not a name to be kept in secret any longer. It's a name to be honored. The name Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth would, Mephibosheth would just say, it's that king of mine. It's that king of mine. He did this for me. What a kind and compassionate king that I have. Christian, what a kind and compassionate king you and I have. All that he's done. All that he's given us. Can I ask you this? If you're a believer, who are you showing that kingly kindness to? I mean, really, let's just get real practical for a minute. Who in your life have you shown the kindness of the king to? If anything, we, we, we come out of this message and our hearts are encouraged. Say, wow, God has given me such grace. God has given me such mercy. Would you decide today, that tomorrow, and each day forward that you want, when people point to you, when people say, when people say your name, does your life, does your life reflect the kindness of Jesus? Would, would the kindness of Jesus be a defining mark on your life and my life? Because that's what we're called to. And then perhaps you're in here this morning and you feel a little bit like Mephibosheth. You say, I, I didn't know how much God loved me. You see, the verse we just read, in fact, Kayla, would you put it back up? Ephesians 2, 8 and verse number 9, 8 and 9. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith. So if you came to church or if you're watching on the live stream today and you thought, well, I'm just trying really hard to make God impressed with me. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to do my best. In fact, I spoke with a man this week a friend in the community, a new friend actually, and we were having a conversation. And I said to him, do you know for sure, he's, very, he's a very religious person, in a lot of ways a very good man. I asked him this question, I said, well, let me ask you this, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? You know what he said to me? Without missing a beat. He said, no, no, I don't know that for sure. He said, I don't know for sure. And I said, yeah. I've spoken to a lot, of, and he grew up in a very religious system, just like a lot of you grew up in. I said, a lot of people I talk to in that religious system, they're afraid. They're not sure. They're afraid that they're trying their best, and they hope that it'll be good enough for God. And he said, you know what? He said to me, 
grown man said to me, he said, you just described me exactly, he said. He said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I took some time and explained the scriptures, really what we're talking about today, that the gift of God is grace. That God doesn't want us to be uncertain. But the problem is, People come to God entitled and they think, well, I'm going to give you my good works. I'm going to give you all my good deeds and hopefully that's enough. And God says, no, I just want you to come to me like broken and and weary Mephibosheth and say, God, I need you. God, I can't save myself. I'm just throwing myself on your grace. I'm throwing myself on your kindness. And God says, that's enough. Faith is enough. So has there been a time in your life where you've received Jesus by faith? Where you've said, it's not about me, it's not about my religion, but I'm going to put my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. You say, what about all the good deeds? They come after that. Then we say, God, you've given me this grace freely, and now I'm going to go out and show it to others. But has there been a moment in your life where you've received grace? or you've been saved. Could we all just have a moment of prayer? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how about those two questions? The question for those who are uncertain. Maybe you're unsure. Maybe you're afraid of what will happen when you die. Receive Jesus by faith today. You say, well, Ethan, how do I do that? You can pray a simple prayer. There's no words that can save you, but if your heart is ready, if in your heart you're ready to believe in Jesus alone, the Bible says that that faith will save you. You could pray something like this. You could say something like, Dear Lord, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that you died and rose again for me. And today I ask you to save me. I put my trust in you and you alone. That's all. That's all it is. It's a simple belief in your heart that Jesus did everything and you simply ask Him to save you. Would you do that this morning, right now in a quiet moment? Say, yes, Jesus, I do receive you as my Savior. If you've done that this morning, maybe you're unsure, but you made sure today If today's the day you said, Ethan, I put my faith in Jesus today. I'd like to pray for you. I won't embarrass you or call you out or do anything anything to make you uncomfortable. But whether you're in the room or online, would you let us know? Anybody in the room, you'd say, today, Ethan, I trusted Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd put your hand up really quickly just to, to let me know so I could pray for you. Say, today I made the decision to trust Jesus as my Savior. Anyone at all with a hand up and then quickly down. You say, Ethan, pray for me. Today I trusted Christ. If you're watching online and you receive Jesus today, would you just send a message, a private message to say, pray for me, I've, I've accepted Christ as my Savior today. Now Christians, as you and I pray right now, we need to pray that God would show us who we could show kindness to. Would you take a minute and just ask the Lord to work in your heart to show you how you could be the hands and feet of Jesus this week as, as the musicians play, we'll have a time of quiet prayer this morning.
Lord, we thank you for your wonderful grace and mercy that you've shown us. I pray, Lord, that as we sing this closing song, that our hearts would just be lifted towards you in worship and thanksgiving. Lord, I pray that we would allow you to show us how we can show kindness, how we can be your ambassadors. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.